The only purpose of the Talking Space podcast is to educate and to inform. The views expressed in this program are the opinions, experiences, and conclusions of the guests. They do not represent the official policy or position of the Space Tweep Society as a whole, NASA, any other space agency, company, contractor, or affiliate. We choose to go to the moon. Once again, to the Talking Space Podcast, I am Sawyer Rosenstein, and I hope those of you joining us are not having as much technical problems as our little cast is here. Speaking of which, our cast consists of Mark Ratterman. Welcome, Mark. Hi, Sawyer. We're cruising now. No worries. All right. No worries indeed. As well, Gina Herlihy. Welcome, Gina. Hey, Sawyer. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing all right, thank you. And also, Gene McCulka. Welcome, Gene. That's cell phone will travel. How are you doing, Sawyer? (laughs) <laughs> Doing great. Thank goodness for the invention of cell phones. All right, now, <laughs> I say we should get right into our first topic here. President Obama made his State of the Union address, and there was a big announcement made. But I think before I actually tell you the announcement, I would like to do a little bit of a comparison. So let's go back to 1961 to President John F. Kennedy's speech to see what he said when he actually spoke to our Congress and the United States of America. And this was what he said. I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. No single space project in this period will be more impressive to mankind or more important for the long range exploration of space. And none will be so difficult or expensive to accomplish. That was what President John F. Kennedy said back in 1961. Now, President Obama, currently here in 2010, did not make as big of an announcement. But according to our friends at Space Vidcast, which can be seen at spacevidcast.com, here's what's actually going on. Basically what's going on is uh, the rumor mill is saying NASA's uh, Constellation program may be canceled in favor of using, and this is all rumor, by the way, this is not official, in favor of using... Um, privatized space vehicles such as SpaceX uh, with their Dragon capsule to go back to the International Space Station, extend the ISFs to 2020, and uh, get rid of our our lunar program Mm -hmm. and our Martian program. Mm -hmm. So basically what's happening is there's rumors going around that President Obama has completely canceled the Constellation program and that everything now seems to be going to privatized companies And the only thing that sounds good is the extension of the International Space Station until 2020. So, pretty shocking announcements. Hoping none of this is true, right? Well, that makes a whole bunch of us, I think. Um, I I kind of alluded alluded to this last week, um, where I think in my closing discussion, I said I I thought it would be a huge mistake to turn the whole thing over to, uh, to commercial interests. I still feel that way. I agree with the premise that we turn low Earth orbit operations over to private industry. I think that's a good move. 
we've, we've been to low Earth orbit. We know how to do it. Good Lord, we're trying to get out of there. We've been there for about 40 years. But uh, I, I think it's time to go somewhere. And I thought Constellation was going to be a step in that, that direction. I mean, we, we, and admittedly, we've spent, what, about $9 billion on the project thus far. And to me, just to pull the plug after spending all that money and investing all that time, I don't know, it, it, it's kind of foolish to me. That's if all of this is true. The, the, the tea leaves say they say that this, this has got some, some teeth, but we won't know for sure until, until tomorrow morning, which is Monday. Uh, we're recording this on, on the Sunday before that. So um, all of this so far is speculation, but it has indeed uh, caused a lot of pain out there and a lot of concern. Well, I wouldn't be in the slightest surprised if Constellation was canceled. Watching the State of the Union, I can understand where the president is coming from. You know, there are there are just some realities that Americans need to face right now, and you know, we're obviously a biased crew of individuals who are very pro-space, but America's got a lot of problems right now, and um, spending money uh, has been too loose and too easy for several years. I'd say this: I'd say the Bush administration, who needed something after Columbia tragedy in 2003, went ahead and, you know, did a nice rah-rah speech in 04, and let's go back to the moon, and let's call it Constellation, and so forth, but you know what? This program has been behind behind schedule and over budget since it got going, and maybe it's not a bad thing if we cancel it. Maybe it's not the right thing. I mean, when we underfunded the space shuttle, that uh, the design was compromised. And unfortunately, the shuttle wasn't the original thought it was supposed to be. We've had a lot of problems with it. So maybe this isn't a bad thing. I mean, I'm not very much looking forward to a longer gap. But if Obama's serious about no discretionary extra funds being spent in the next three years, well, maybe three years we jumpstart something that will be even better. I think we've got to look at it that way, if indeed Constellation is outright canceled. I agree. I mean, I think it would have been a whole different story had they made this decision earlier. They made it a few years earlier. I think Constellation would be a completely new program. And I believe it was on Miles O'Brien's This Week in Space. Uh, They were mentioning that had they done it a few years earlier, they would have already gotten in a few test flights and so on and so forth. But again, that's all speculation of what could have been. At this point, they're behind schedule. They're way over budget, like Gina was just mentioning, and I think we've just lost $9 million and lots of jobs, because basically what we're saying is, we're saying that all of these jobs that we have working on Constellation, we're just completely deciding to get rid of them and outsource all of our manned spaceflight, both to private industry and to other countries. So I think it's more hurting us than helping us. Well, let's not say we threw $9 million away. We must have learned something out of this. You know, Constellation was taking the best of Apollo and Shuttle together and, you know, figuring that out and how that exi- what that exactly is. And I'm sure somewhere we have amassed one heck of a large document at NASA that must be exactly what the pros of both of those programs were. So going forward, uh, when we're ready... You know, we can draw right from that instantly and probably save a lot of time. Well, with respect to um, budgets being tight and all that, the day after the State of the Union address, 
President Obama went down to Florida and announced that he was giving $8 billion, with a B, dollars to the state to develop a high-speed rail system between Tampa and Orlando. I, I don't understand fully what is going on with that, but I don't even know what the state is being mandated, you know, what the man, state mandates are with that. But with all due respect, if we can find $8 billion to build this high-speed rail, I think, shoot, we could probably find the $3 billion that the, uh, the Augustine Commission wanted to give to NASA for, for Constellation and complete well, I think that. You, have, you may have to understand how budgets work. I mean, that money could have been in the pipeline already, already earmarked. Um, I haven't really looked at that program. I've heard about it loosely. I know former astronaut and current Senator Bill Nelson is 110% behind that. And it's a little ironic that he is behind $8 billion to provide jobs to Floridians on the western part of his state. And, you know, $3 billion jobs on the eastern part of his state would, you know, $3 billion would go a long way over on the Space Coast. But I, I I know this is something that's been talked about in Florida for a very, very, very long time. And, you know, this budget proposal or earmark could have gotten through, I think, already. So, you know, if it's shovel-ready, which is what, you know, a lot of the stimulus money is supposed to be, then that's the kind of stuff that's going to go first. That's immediate jobs versus, like Sawyer said, spending millions and millions of dollars, is it getting us anywhere? It would be really awful for America to spend a lot of money designing a rocket that may not be so great and have a lot of waste surrounding that versus a shovel-ready, I-can-put-people-to-work program right away. It's a hard call, but, you know, maybe it's not a hard call if you're the guy sitting in the Oval Office. Yeah, time for me to sort of disagree with uh, some of what I'm hearing. I would uh, personally like to see maybe uh, rename Constellation to something else so that it'll sound better and it won't have a legacy of, of people arguing about whether it'll fly or not. Go ahead and fly it. And suppose they only use it for a few years. But, uh, you know, did Russia with their Soyuz capsules and their launchers, did they expect to, to have the, uh, the years and years of service that they had with them? Or did they expect maybe to move on? I mean, there's no telling. I mean, who's to say that we can't have a, an Orion-type capsule on top of a two-stage rocket and have it be part of our spaceflight hardware rather than what we're seeing now as being the sole thing? Uh, it could be a low-production vehicle. It could be something that would have its place and maybe a small place, and not necessarily the key thing that we see in the, the initial design for returning to the moon and Mars. Right, but the one thing is, a rose by any other name is still a rose. If you call oh, something yeah. different, that's not going to completely get rid of its legacy. It's just going to be a whole other thing. But then I think people are going to start criticizing about doing something only for two or three years. And uh, I hate to use this term again, Gina, I'm sorry, but wasting money. Yeah, but it's not wasting money if it serves a purpose. And I think there's some political capital to be gained by not going to Russia. Of course, we're supposed to be cooperating with the world in in our space efforts so I'd seen a criticism that some of the possible changes would actually be taking us out of a cooperative posture good point yeah that is a good point yeah. but I think we got to remember how much is involved with startup cost to any of these programs 
not only the hardware, it's all the systems and subsystems that need to be developed and put in place to start up a project like this. So to spend a lot of money on the front end of a program and then only fly it for a couple of years seems like we're not ever going to get the return of investment we could um, if it's unless it flies through its designated life cycle. So what am I missing? Do we, I mean, I know it may end up uh, dying after the budget announcement, but should we expect to uh, to not go any further with it and abandon what's already been done? That's the thing that bothers me. There's been a lot of development, and the government's no stranger to, to starting things and abandoning them. So, you know, it shouldn't bother me that that's likely. And it, it honestly doesn't. It just seems like a shame. It is a shame, but I, th- I think we got to remember, I, I'm hopeful that NASA engineers, they, their mission in developing Constellation was take the best of shuttle and best of Apollo, and let's hope that that is well documented and, and uh, agreed upon what those pros of both of those programs are in terms of safety, reusability, economic scale. Um, I have to believe that Constellation um, has that documented as what are the best ways, you know, to, to rebuild a program or a system. That's what we got our monies out of it, I, I, would, I would say. What I find, found kind of interesting, uh, just listening to a lot of the chatter that was going on, was that uh, hearing that Constellation may be gone, a lot of people instantly said, oh, we're, you know, it, it, we've decided we're going to do the flexible path thing and, and go to Phobos and all this other stuff and the Lagrange points and all that. Nothing like that has been mentioned, being, uh, which, which is what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to kind of remind people. The only thing I've heard thus far is that we are going to extend the International Space Station to 2020, which not, isn't necessarily a bad thing, and allow commercial uh, aspects to go ahead and develop low-Earth orbit, and then just abandon you know the whole lunar program. Uh, but I haven't heard, and I don't know if you guys have heard anything to that effect, that this is going to be a, a wholesale endorsement of the flexible path route where we're going to be using... Uh, parts of Constellation, you know, mainly the Orion capsule, to go ahead and do you know a rendezvous with a near-Earth asteroid, or going up to a to a Lagrange point, or even a, a lunar flyby, or any of that. I don't know if anybody's heard anything differently. I just have to say, Gene, I I completely agree that it's not stating right away that we're going another direction yet. All we know is the facts of the extension. And we can't let this get any further than that because, again, even the extension of what we're hearing now is still to the point of rumors. Nothing is yet confirmed. Yeah, Sawyer, I'll, I'll agree with you there. Right now, again, we are recording this on, on Sunday. Um, the the Sunday, announcement... January 31st. Right, right. This is Sunday, January 31st. And uh, we don't know at, as of right now what's going on. Uh, no announcement has been officially made. Uh, what I just found a little disturbing was that there wasn't an official announcement at the State of the Union, which kind of tells me where uh, space may be in the pecking order of the of the administration. Uh, and just just for the record, it was apparently the same in, in the past one. But um, if everything is is panning out the way I'm hearing it, I'm disturbed. Um, I think that to go ahead and just let private industry have the whole thing, we may be making the same mistake we did in the early 80s and late 70s 
with the decision to place all of our eggs in the shuttle basket and get rid of all the expendable launch vehicles. I still say that it should be a two-pronged approach where we give um, commercial industry a crack at lower Earth orbit, let them, let them uh, deal with servicing crews back and forth to the International Space Station, but we should allow NASA to go ahead and do what it does best, and that's explore. And unfortunately, if this is indeed the plan, I don't think um, that we're allowing NASA to do that. All right, well, that was definitely a very heated, debatable argument. So what do you think? What do you listeners think out there? We want to hear your opinions. You can send it to us at a couple of places. First is our email address, talkingspaceonline at gmail.com. You could send it to us as a note on our Facebook page where you can just search for Talking Space. And also you can mention us on Twitter, which is at Talking Space, and leave your opinion there because we definitely want to hear your thoughts on this. Another thing you can do is you can chat with people live about it as you're listening to this. You can re-listen to the episode on astronomy.fm, and that's on Tuesday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern, and it repeats every three hours. And they have a chat room there at astronomy.fm slash chat, where you can talk with live people as you listen to this and share your opinions. And Sawyer, just as an aside, I'm going to try to see if I can be in there on on uh, on Tuesday as well during the re-air of this. So um, if anybody wants to go ahead and come in and, and ask any questions of me and, and sort of stick a stick a uh, little little stick in my cage by all means please do so and i intend to be there as well so tuesday nights again 10 p.m eastern standard time all right now for the rest of the show what we want to do is we would like to devote this since this is nasa's week of remembrance what we're going to do is we are going to devote this last part of our show to the 17 men and women that have died while serving their country as astronauts and that includes the crew of apollo 1 Space Shuttle Challenger, and the Space Shuttle Columbia. We want to remember what they did, and not only that, but what their missions have done, because, as we always say, they will not have died in vain. And we want to talk a little bit about what has come out of these special missions. So let's start with our crew of three from Apollo 1 back in 1967. Well, a lot of the Apollo folks, uh, if you talk to them, will tell you flat out that Unfortunately, if it was not for the sacrifice of Apollo 1 and that crew, we would not have gotten to the moon. The Apollo 1 spacecraft was sort of wrought with uh, all, sorts of, uh, all sorts of problems. If I recall exactly, uh, uh, Gus Grissom, during one uh, sim flight or simulation that they had, went ahead and uh, hung a, a lemon in front of the, sh- in front of the ship. Um, and it was just sort of a, an opinion of what was what he thought of what was going on. But if it were not for their sacrifice, we would not have gotten to the moon because when they took that pause and looked and really, really looked at what they were doing, a lot of changes were were made. So, so it was a harsh lesson to learn. But uh, if it were not for that, for the sacrifice of Grissom, uh, White, and Chaffee, um, I don't think. Uh, the Apollo program would have been successful as it was. Yeah, the, the fire um, that was on the pad took place actually on a test. I mean, it was it was incredulous to NASA that they lost a crew on the ground. And I think it did two things. Not only did it lead to a major redesign of the spacecraft 
and a, probably a much space, safer spacecraft that made Apollo so successful. But I think it also got NASA thinking differently. You know, this is something that occurred while we weren't expecting it. You know, we're expecting an explosion at launch. We're expecting uh, some catastrophe during reentry. No, this happened during a routine launch pad, plugs out test, astronauts on their back, all the power unplugged from the umbilicals. So the rocket is standing there running off of all of its own systems. They're having a problem with the radio. And Gus Grissom looked down and saw the fire probably under his coach first on what side of the spacecraft it was. And in a matter of less than a minute, the crew was gone. The pressure in that 100% O2 environment built up so strong, so fast, they couldn't open the hatch. NASA really took pause, and this, you know, that was never supposed to happen. This is a routine test, and, you know, they really had to rethink not only their system design, but some procedures as well. So it really, uh, I, I think, unfortunately, happened at the beginning and lost a phenomenal crew. A lot of people rumored Gus Grissom probably to be the first man to walk on the moon at that point, but uh, paved the way for a much safer, very successful Apollo program. Yes, I actually had the privilege of talking to somebody, I'm not going to disclose names for other reasons, but I had the privilege of talking with somebody who worked on the Apollo program during that time period and was able to work with the with everybody, including Werner von Braun, on redesigning it. And that person stated to me that they basically said straight out, because of this, they were not redesigning the capsule for any reason other than for the crew. Because they knew it's exactly what the crew would have wanted for them to continue moving on and get this program running. So whenever they were struggling after a long day or trying to think about what to do while redesigning it, they kept thinking about the Apollo 1 crew and knew they were doing it for them. And I thought that was really amazing. Yeah, Gina, you had mentioned that it was also a change of mindset. Uh, case in point, it was, I believe this was in uh, uh, Wally Shiraz's memoir uh, where he was inspecting the Apollo 7 spacecraft. He had, uh, was looking around inside it and apparently stepped right onto the, onto the hatch sill there where the hatch was going to be put on. And, uh, one of the workers, you know, said, you know, get your foot off of there. You know, you know, three people died. And, um, he moved his foot off of there and, um, the supervisor ran over to that worker and said, come on, you know, don't you know who that is? And, and he pulled the supervisor over and says, no, 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 don't admonish her. She was right. I was wrong. I shouldn't have had my foot there. And, you know, don't, don't be critical of her because she was doing the right thing. She was telling me I was being an idiot and, and not doing, doing the right thing here. So, indeed, it, it really shifted the mindset on that. And also, you know, we also mentioned the 100% oxygen atmosphere. Come on! If you're in a 100% oxygen atmosphere, there's going to, you know, and you do have a spark somewhere, that is just going to, that's just begging for trouble. The sad part about it is we still don't know exactly what caused the fire. Um, but uh, I, I guess at this stage of the game, that's sort of the material. Um, it's a, sort of a, a question left for history. But uh, again, the cost of these guys, I think uh, Apollo would not have been as successful as it was. And, uh, you know, our, uh, our nation should, should be appreciative. Indeed, they were a brave crew. And at this time, we remember the three astronauts of Apollo 1, 
Virgil, Gus Grissom, Ed White, and Roger Chaffee. The second crew was lost on January 28, 1986, and that was the Space Shuttle Challenger, which 73 seconds into flight unfortunately had an explosion due to a leak in an O-ring located on one of the solid rocket boosters, causing loss of crew as well, including schoolteacher Krista McAuliffe, and many, many people remember that day who were alive. So what has come out of the Challenger explosion? It's funny you mentioned um, what's come out of that. First, uh, Sawyer, of, of uh, anybody on the panel, uh, you would be uh, be the one to really, really address that. I think one of the best things that come out of that uh, was that the families decided that the mission should succeed, that Krista McCullough's mission should continue. And uh, they decided to go ahead and, and form uh, the Challenger Centers. And uh, I still say that uh, if they were trying to go ahead and capture the imagination of the youth today, I think that is the biggest step in the right direction. And I've I've sat into in two simulations, one with you, and another one a few uh, years back, and I've seen the expression on kids' faces and how so enthralled they are to learn more about what's learn more about space and astronomy and so on after having one of having having an experience there. So if uh, we want to go ahead and say uh, something good has come out of that, that is one of the best things that ever came out of it. I think, too, a a much stronger, a little bit of of a safer shuttle program came out of Challenger. Uh, It's funny, I still remember uh, the day that happened and where I was and what I was doing and so on. And uh, somebody I was, was, uh, a friend of mine had called up to let me know she was a she was a school teacher, and she was watching the uh, the launch with uh, with her class. And uh, a few minutes later, right after the event that had occurred, I had gotten a phone call from her to tell me what went wrong. And um, I was I was at work at the time, and everybody was looking at me like, you know, "What's wrong?" Because the, the blood just drained out of my face, and I was trying to get an idea of what exactly had occurred and what happened. And, and already my head was already trying to spin spin around with, with possibilities what may have gone wrong. And um, after I, I hung up the phone, I just kind of looked at it for like maybe a minute and a half, and then somebody just walked up to me and said, you know, what happened? And I just said, we just lost Challenger. You know, they're like, what? And you know, there was just this disbelief that shot through the entire the entire office, and then finally, after uh, you know a few minutes, the, it came over the loudspeaker to confirm what had occurred, and uh, pretty much all work stopped for that day. And and I believe we uh, we got out, we left work early because I don't think anybody really really was in a in a mindset to to try to work. And uh, I, I I remember just just almost almost sleepwalking home. Um, and then turning on the television and being riveted to trying to get more and more information and so on. But uh, I think the, the, the upshot of what came out of the Rogers Commission was a stronger shuttle program and uh, a, lot of, uh, uh, a lot of safety and a lot of uh, innovations came out of that to try to make the crew safer. I mean, uh, for that period of time, it, it kind of sort of worked. Right, and I think that the Challenger Centers, which I work at also, like Gene was just mentioning, that's definitely a great way of continuing the mission of teacher Krista McAuliffe by teaching students about their lesson as well. And the sad part is is how it happened. It was just weather. 
I mean, they had so many other chances to go, but it was either bad weather at abort landing sites or the stupidest one. They were trying to close the hatch, and the device they used to close it got stuck. And they could have launched on a perfectly great day, but it all came down to launching on the day where the weather, where icicles basically formed on the launch pad. And right, right. And I, since I then, though, we have new launch protocols, at least. So. Right. I, I remember actually walking out of the house, um, you know, watching, I guess the Today Show was on or whatever, and they had the NetMip, which was then a NASA Select system on, and seeing the icicles on the pad, I mean, these things were huge. And I was like, we ain't going today. There's no way in God's green earth we're going today. And uh, I, I walked out thinking that. And, you know, so... I, that's another reason why I was kind of kind of shocked when I got that phone call. And another thing, uh, also kind of like Challengers, is um, on STS-118, another part of the legacy, Barbara Morgan, who was actually the backup teacher to Krista McAuliffe, uh, was finally able to complete the teacher in space mission, and she finally lifted off on Space Shuttle Endeavor. I actually had the pleasure of meeting her once at a conference, and She's an amazing, great person, and that's another legacy, is that the Teacher in Space program lived on. Let's remember Francis Scobie, the commander, Michael Smith, the pilot, mission specialist, Judy Resnick, Melissa Nanazuka, Ronald McNair, and payload specialist Gregory Jarvis and Kristen McCollum. Indeed. To quote President Ronald Reagan, we will never forget them, nor the last time we saw them, as they prepared for their journey and waved goodbye and slipped the surly bonds of Earth to touch the face of God. Unfortunately, the last crew was the crew of the space shuttle Columbia, which, while during ascent, a piece of foam fell off of the external fuel tank, and unbeknownst to the flight controllers down on the ground, punctured a hole in the leading edge of the wing. Flight controllers did end up noticing the foam impact, but they figured it to be not a threat to the mission. Unfortunately, it was a threat to the mission, and while re-entering over California, it started to slowly break up until over Texas, communications were completely lost with the vehicle, as well as the vehicle and crew itself. So a lot has also come out of the crew of STS-107. And what has come out of it? Let's talk about it. Well, the upshot was supposed to be Constellation. Uh, it... Uh forced us to sort of look at the program as a whole uh, to try to finally say, hey, we should have had a shuttle replacement sort of in the pipeline a while back ago. Uh, one had been in the pipeline back in the early 90s, but it really didn't it didn't go anywhere. Um, I believe that was the Lockheed Martin Venture Star. That was being talked about as a possible replacement for the shuttle, but it, it never really, really, the project really got stalled somewhere and uh, it never really, really happened, but it forced us to say, hey, you know, we've got to come up with a replacement for the orbiters, one. Two, we were trying to find out, again, what do we do after shuttle, and uh, we thought that Constellation may be, may be it, um, and uh, the announcement was made in uh, early 2004 that, uh, that the shuttle program should, uh, should end by 2010, and that we should go back and, and get out of low Earth orbit and explore. 
uh, go to the, back to the moon, uh, go on to Mars, and hopefully beyond that. And uh, unfortunately, it looks like that, that, pro, that legacy may be in trouble now. I honestly hope that the legacy does become a new program, a constellation program or something, because this officially stated that basically the launch design that we have with the shuttle where the vehicle is not on top of but next to um, all of its fuel systems is not the way to go. It's not the safest way to go. It doesn't leave the option of an escape system. And if nothing else, I think this mission finally drove it into everybody's heads and said, we can't keep going like this. We're going to have to change it. Plus, I think also it brings up a whole new management issue of they were trying to push to get ahead so that way they could continue with the International Space Station building. And instead of getting ahead, they fell two years behind. So I think it also goes to show just how NASA now needs to stop, look back like it has been doing, and take every precaution needed, no matter how bad it could be for the future. Losing a crew is not worth it. Yeah, I think, too, Sawyer, that we became a little too schedule-oriented. STS-51L, Challenger, and um, STS-107, the two have that in common, and that was uh, both the Columbia Accident Investigation Board and the Rogers Commission said that schedule pressures, too, on, on the shuttle system were a factor. And in that instance, I, I don't know if we learned the lesson between STS-151L and STS-107. And I hope that, that, uh, that's been articulated well. Well, I think 107 was special in a few other ways that most people may not realize. This is a crew that had their mission delayed, I think, over a year at one point, and they had worked together and trained so hard and so long for a mission that was nothing but oriented to science. And I've read or seen comments by in video by some of the members of the crew that they had worked together in such synchronicity for so long, they could almost read each other's minds. And they were incredibly good friends, and astronaut Dave Brown videotaped so much of their training and so much of their mission that they were NASA or other filmmakers I'm not sure who's responsible put together one heck of a documentary because there's just so much footage of these seven remarkable individuals working together I think the other tragedy is that um, we lost seven brilliant brains in this accident um, Two of the members of this crew were medical doctors and both pilots. Um, we lost uh, Casey or uh, astronaut Chella. She was a, she had a PhD in aerospace engineering. And the other four crew members were incredibly um, high-ranking military officers. Ilan Ramon um, from Israel. He was a colonel in the Israeli Air Force. Willie McCool, the pilot. He was a, a naval commander, not just a, a captain, but a, a commander in the U.S. Navy. Rick Husband, the commander, um, he was a colonel in the United States Air Force. And uh, Michael Anderson, he was also a lieutenant colonel in the United States Air Force, in addition to medical doctors Dave Brown and Laurel Clark. I mean, an incredible brain trust. Um, so much science to come out of this mission, and I think they've captured as much as they possibly could from not having 
unfortunately, so many experiments returned to Earth, but truly, truly a tragedy in the loss of these seven individuals and one very solid crew. Yeah, Tina, you mentioned the uh, the documentary there. I believe that was from the uh, the Discovery Channel, and uh, there was one thing that uh, actually there was a few things um, in there that, that really really stand out. Uh, one was uh, Willie McCool's exuberance, and Laurel Clark had had uh, characterized him as a eight year old trapped in a ten year old's body, that type of thing. And he was just a very exuberant individual, just loved what he was doing. Um, there was also an interesting. You mentioned Mike Anderson, and uh, if I recall exactly, the crew was sort of split up on the science mission. This was to be the last science mission uh, before the shuttle was going to be um, devoted strictly to uh, to uh, space station construction. And uh, during one of the shifts, um, Mike just simply sent a message to somebody. Uh, down on the ground, just asking about a family member who was not, you know, feeling all that well. And I said, you know, my daughter's fine, and I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly what was going on. And they said, oh, okay, great. And it was just something that, you know, you didn't really expect from somebody up there, you know, that it was just trying to work. So it, it, it spoke volumes about this particular crew and the camaraderie they had together. And not only that, the respect they had not only for each other, but also for the people that were in charge of taking care of them. And um, I think that really, really spoke volumes for, for this team. And uh, it's a, just an absolute tragedy that we've lost. All right, then, once again, we remember the crew of STS-107. And to quote President Bush on his response to the accident, the cause in which they died will continue. Our journey into space will go on. Quote unquote, and I hope that he is correct and that that will come out of this mission as well in the future. So at this time, once again, we remember all three crews of STS-1, Challenger 51L, and Columbia STS-107. And with that, I believe that this episode is complete. So we have one very important thing coming up on Wednesday. And Mark Ratterman, why don't you tell everybody exactly what's going on with it? Well, we've got a, um, I guess it's a bit of an experiment, and it's one that uh, we hope to have some good um, good discussion on, but Neil Weiser, and uh, you can follow him at, at N-E-A-L-W-I-S-E-R, and also he has a, uh, another Twitter feed that he, uh, that he supplies that's at SaveNASA, and uh, we're going to be on that very subject, and we've certainly been talking about some things tonight. And before we do that show, we'll have um, gotten the results of what the actual budget submission is that's coming up in a day or so. So we're going to be discussing that, but we're going to tie into another service that's available called Twalking, or Twalkin, T-W-A-L-K-I-N. And that's going to allow us to have a uh, sort of a live audience listening to what we're kicking around. And after a point, we'll have the opportunity for them to comment and question Neil and the rest of us on anything that uh, that comes to mind that they want to uh, to comment or question us on. Is there any way specifically that they can join in, our listeners? Oh, good, good question. Uh, if they go to uh, website twalk.in, they will probably see on the home page, it's been there most of the last few days, but they'll see a talking space uh, 
a little promo announcement for an upcoming talk, as it's called, and that'll provide the phone number and PIN that they need. And there's also some instructions that I've attempted to put together there on the dropio, D-R-O-P dot I-O slash talking space page, and you can read through that. But basically, anybody that wants to participate, it'll be a phone call to that TWOC number that'll be that and the pin will be for that show specifically that they can call in. It'll be a, a landline call, a cell phone call, a Skype out call, however you can manage your call. It'll be a, a call for whatever duration you want to stay with us. And it would help if you register on uh, TWOC, the phone that you're going to be calling in with, so that we'll see your Twitter ID pop up uh, when you do call in. And what time should they call in? Well, we're going to be starting to get together on Skype around 9, and I anticipate that we'll start uh, actual recording with Neil and the show itself at 9.30, and that'll be Eastern Standard Time. All right, so you heard it. Those links will also be in the information about this show, but that's twalkin, T-W-A-L-K dot I-N, and that's drop.io slash talking space. And be sure to join us, as well as our special guest, Neil Weiser, from Save NASA. And that wraps up our show now. So thank you, everybody, once again for joining us. Thank you, Gene McCulka. Always a pleasure, Soria. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Gina Hurley, as well. Oh, thanks, Sawyer. I hope I can do as good a job as you normally do hosting Wednesday night. So wish me luck. Good luck indeed. By the way, to those listening, I won't be hosting next week. Neither will Gene McCulka. Gina Hurley will be the host for Wednesday's Twalk.in episode. And, and the crowd goes wild. <laughs> <laughs> and Mark Bratterman, thank you as well for joining us. And thank you all for uh, the great things that you had to say for tonight. Indeed. Remember, there are a couple ways to get in contact with us. Email TalkingSpaceOnline at gmail.com. Facebook, we've got our Facebook page. You can become a friend of us, so just search for Talking Space. And you can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash Talking Space. So thank you. Thanks to everybody for making this podcast a great success in our second season. All 1,500-plus subscribers and counting. And we'll hope you continue listening. But in the meantime, have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be where you are. Thank you.